for me, I like to see my broadheads hit with my field points. I feel like it takes the flaw out of everything in the shot. And the flaw meaning like any kind of weird arrow flight, weird paper tears. When you have something that's not a clean arrow flight, mm -hmm. it's gonna show when you shoot a broadhead. If you go and put a, a fixed blade broadhead on a arrow that's got wobble to it, that's just as good as putting helical on that arrow or on your broadhead. Um, it's gonna wanna plane in the same way as if you were to put helical on it. And it's just gonna, it's gonna cause sporadic groups or a bigger group than what you want. What I'm looking for personally is I want a, a hunting bow that's gonna be somewhere in the 280s for speed. I don't like going, I don't do the whole like shoot over 300 feet per second because of, for whatever reason, like loud. And I feel like it's less accurate. I want something somewhere in the 280s, uh, mid to upper 280s, and I'll shoot whatever arrow weight that it takes to get there. If it's a 410 grain arrow, that's what I'm shooting. 500 grain arrow, I'll shoot that too. Somewhere in that speed range, I want something to be as quiet as it can, both the bow and the arrow. So a heavier arrow inherently is gonna make the bow quieter and something accurate, like I want it to hit where I'm aiming. Even your shooting 10 years ago is so much different than the stuff that we're shooting now. Like I've done the testing on the same bow with an arrow from 400 grains to 500 grains. Cause I wanted to see like how heavy can I actually shoot an arrow and it starts to like just dive off. Like it's not that efficient anymore. Welcome to Days of the Wild Big Game Hunting Podcast. I'm going into my 15th year of podcasting. Can't believe it's been that long. I want to thank you all for helping me keep this fresh and staying motivated to bring you new content, etc. It hasn't been easy, but uh, it helps me fuel my own passion for hunting. Speaking of helping me keep this going, please go check out Phoenix Shooting Bags and use promo code John Stallone, all one word, to save 20%. And lastly, if you could, go to Howl for Wildlife and become a member. We have partnered with Go Hunt. So now you could get your cake and eat it too. What, I, what do I mean by this? Well, you can go to Go Hunt and if you look at their insider full subscription, it's $149. And with the insider, you get the Explorer as well. So we have both packages, but Explorer is, is their mapping software and it's completely dedicated just to hunting. You know, it's got the public and private land boundaries, offline maps, 3D, point tracker, and all the Western states are included. It's a, it's a great tool. So you get that plus on, with the Insider, you get the advanced filtering and search tools, industry leading draw odds, unit profiles, and uh, easy to read state regulation overviews and species profiles and expert insights and all this exclusive content plus monthly giveaways. So the Go Hunt Insider subscription is an awesome deal, right? But it's $149 a year. And if you've been on the fence and didn't know you, if you wanted to spend that $149, let me tell you, it's really worth it. But we're going to make it even sexier for you because if you come to Howlful Wildlife's site and you go to our membership portal and purchase a Insider or a Explorer package, you not only get a free subscription to Go Hunt and get all those awesome benefits that we talked about, but you get all the benefits of becoming a Howlful Wildlife member. And that includes our discounts with our partners 
20% or more with our partners, you are automatically included in the Halful Wildlife giveaway, monthly giveaways for gear and hunt giveaways for the year. Plus, as a 501c3, your portion of your membership is tax deductible and you're helping out a great cause. Alpha Wildlife is out there advocating for the hunter and helping educate the non-hunting public so that uh, we can keep doing this for for perpetuity here and so that our kids and our grandkids can enjoy it. And uh, it's a really great system and we're super thankful that uh, Go Hunt jumped on board with us. And um, it's a great way to support Halifa Wildlife. It's a great way to get awesome tools that you will use. I use Go Hunt Insider all the time. I've been a member for a very long time and it's how I get a lot of my tags by doing the research through there. And now you're getting extra stuff with it. So it's a great, great system. So go check it out. Become a member today. And uh, let's roll into this next episode. Thanks. Hi, welcome to Days in the Wild Big Game Hunting Podcast brought to you by Phoenix Shooting Bags. Today we're, uh, we got one of my good friends on and uh, actually one of the guys that has really helped me kind of develop my philosophy on bow tuning and arrow building. I, I stole a lot from him, actually. <laughs> so um, I have uh, Chris Escarcega on with us and uh well chris why don't you give us a little rundown about yourself man before we kind of roll into any of any of this all right so um i've kind of been shooting since i was a little kid as far back as i can remember my grandpa put a bow in my hands um started shooting traditional when i was i can't even remember probably three or four years old and was going to 3d tournaments with them all growing up kind of took a step back going through school um, and then got serious about it again about 10 years ago. I moved to Salt Lake City and started working for Easton for a short time and then took a job at uh, a shop in Sandy, Utah called uh, Full Draw Archery. I was there for about two years and then moved back to Arizona and was a manager at the Arizona Archery Club for probably five out of the, I think, six years that I was there and then um, worked for PSE for about a year and a half after that. And now I'm a territory manager for the outdoor group. So I've been in the archery industry for probably going on 10 years now. I hunt as much as I can and compete as well. And I'd like to think that I know some tricks of the trades and ins and outs of archery. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I still, to this day, the last bow you helped me tune is still my best shooting. I, I unfortunately end up selling it, but it was my best shooting bow, and I kind of wish I didn't get rid of it. And I'd love to have that that same confidence, that same, like, I knew, like, no matter what, unless, you know, I did something stupid and, and, and blew the shot myself, that it was going to do what I expected it to do. You know, it was that, it was that perfect bow <laughs> and, and it didn't matter. Like, honestly, I could shoot. It was so well tuned that I could shoot any broadhead, any, like almost any distance really. <laughs> and that thing was going to hit where I was aiming. You know, as long as I did 
what I was supposed to do on my end from the shooting standpoint, but yeah, it was fantastic. And I've, I have not been able to achieve that level of perfection <laughs> uh, since that bow. So I kind of feel like we all have that bow that, that uh, kind of got away from us that we probably shouldn't have gotten rid of even for nostalgia factor. Yeah. Yeah. I just actually just sold my helium, my Matthews helium. I was holding on to it, man. It had a brand spanking new string on it. I was holding on to it and it was all about nostalgia, right? Cause it was probably, well, it wasn't my killingest most bow, if that's even a word, but, um, it was definitely up there. It was my, probably my second, my, the, the bow that I killed the most animals with over time. And it's because I had it for so long. If you know, it, it, it's not really a fair thing was my, uh, Matthews LX. And, and when I sold that too, that was like, I was hard partner. I actually, I interviewed the people that were calling me and asking me, you know, to buy that bow because I wanted it to go to the right home. <laughs> I, I wanted it to go to a place that, would, that it was going to be loved. But uh, yeah, I was there. there I'm, the same few... way with, with, I'm the same way with one of my bows right now. I know, I don't know the person that has it, uh-huh. but I've worked on it about three years after that. Okay. And I know the person that got it sold for me. <laughs> so it's not far out of my reach. Gotcha. But I told them a long time ago, if they ever decide to get rid of that bow, I wanted it back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, well, let's, uh, let's kind of dive into this a little bit. We're going to talk about, uh, for lack of better terminology, super tuning. I'm going to, I'm going to call it super tuning since that's the buzzword. But um, what what is what do you consider? Let's start off like this. What what do you consider a well tuned bow? What is it doing for you? Like, what is your litmus paper? What is your test for what you would consider a, a, a well tuned bow? Are we, is that going to be considered like strictly on the hunting side of things, or in general? Well. I think I, I would say let's let's go with hunting because hunting deals with broadheads, and I think you okay. need, you need a a different level of tune for a hunting rig versus your target rig. Even though I know the target rig, you know target guys are super anal about everything, but in in the grand scheme of things, like I think you really need to have more input into the bow to get a better flight of an arrow when you have broadhead and and so yeah absolutely like and a lot of my knowledge came from the target side of things because we're and i just came from a tournament that we're shooting anywhere from three three yards to 101 yards and that bow is set up different than i set up my hunting bow Mm -hmm. but for a hunting bow i want my broadheads to to hit with my field points and before we kind of go down that rabbit hole i guess you could say mm-hmm. there's more than one way to get to this point and to be honest there's not a, i want to say there's not a lot of people that can but not everybody can achieve the same results depending on setup broadheads what they choose to shoot but for me i like to see my broadheads hit with my field points i feel like it takes the flaw out of everything in the shot and the flaw meaning like any kind of weird arrow flight, weird paper tears. When you have something that's not a clean arrow flight, mm-hmm. it's going to show when you shoot a broadhead. 
I know that there's people that get their bow shooting super good and they're happy with it. They throw a broadhead on it. And if it hits five inches low, right at 50 yards, they're going to reset in their bow. Me personally, like that would drive me absolutely insane. And I know people that are successful with that. Mm-hmm. Um, some of my best friends do that. But to me, like the further out you go, I mean, it may hit five inches low, right? at 50 yards but you go and shoot 80 yards and now it's eight inches low right like i feel like the further you walk at or further distance you go when it's set up like that the more it's going to drop out right and i want everything to be perfectly clean plus i don't want to practice with my broadheads all the time like yeah that's nice to know and kind of take note on that but it's not something i want to be doing all the time you get a grouping really good you're going to go through broadheads like or go through your like nobody's business. <laughs> and yeah, yeah, absolutely. Right. So you, you and I have done that. <laughs> yeah, plenty. <laughs> yeah, a lot so, of uh, a lot of what I'm doing now stems from when. So Chris and I were when we did my broadheads testing and the vein testing and all that stuff. Uh, Chris was, you know, uh, my right hand man on that whole thing. He helped me through all of that, and uh, we. <laughs> We destroyed plenty of arrows and 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 lots and lots of fletching. <laughs> we went through lots of fletching, but uh, mm-hmm. so yeah, I, I'm and with like you. Coming man. up like, with a lot of this, yeah. I I was shooting out of a hooter shooter and destroyed a half dozen arrows in 20 minutes one day. Yeah, like it it gets expensive when you're testing stuff like that. Right. But that's how you figure out what works. And I've talked to a lot of people about it. And not everybody agrees with me. I mean, it it is what it is. They, there's more more than one way to skin a cat when it comes to it. But oh, for sure. That's yeah. that's what I'm, when it comes down to it, that's what I'm looking for. I want something forgiving. I want to hit the same spot as my broadheads mm-hmm. so you can practice with my broadheads or practice with my field points at whatever distance for one. But two, I know that flaw has been taken completely out. Yeah, I'm the same way. I, what I've done, like as far as practice is concerned, now what I'll do is I'll shoot one broadhead and then two field points. And that's so when I'm practicing, I keep one, you know, one or two broadhead practice broadheads, but I only shoot one and then I shoot two field points. And if, you know, they're all grouping together, I know that my bow's still in tune. And, um, you know, I mean, I'm getting the desired result. That's not far off from what I do personally. You and I have done it a bunch, so that's probably going to be similar and fall in line with each other. But that's that's not far from how I start everything out. Yeah, yeah. So, um, okay. Well, we know we know what the end result is. What what is what's your starting point? So let's take us through the process. I mean, we could even start with the arrow builds because that's also another thing that I have my philosophy on, and I, I adopted a lot of you know what you were doing, especially with like the first bend indexing and all that stuff. Um, mm-hmm. And I kind of think that's a pretty, I don't, I mean, I'll figure out what arrow I'm going to shoot before I even start messing with my bow. So that's probably yeah. a pretty good place to start with it. Yep. Let's do it. So for me, uh, and it, it kind of depends on the ability. A lot of people aren't going to necessarily see the same results, but I would start out with the straightest arrow that you can afford. Um, <laughs> and I say that because when it comes down to it, like if you go, if you're a fixed blade shooter, and you put a fixed blade on an arrow that say, let's go to extreme and say like a zero zero six. Uh-huh. That's going to be the tolerance of that batch of arrows 
that you're going to stay within. And when you say zero, zero, six, that's kind of like one way. So realistically, you've got like 12,000s to play with. Like that's a lot of wobble in an arrow when you think about it. If you were to get an arrow spinner and start spinning it and you spin a zero, zero, six, you're going to see some differences in that. And if that's what you're able to get and all you can get, then that's fine. There's, and I can kind of get into ways to kind of, mask that or not necessarily mask it but make it better um clutching is a huge way to do that but i would start out with the straightest arrow you could possibly get for me personally i always shoot a zero zero one arrow um and that's going to yield the best results in the long run because if you go and put a, a fixed blade broadhead on a arrow that's got wobble to it that's just as good as putting helical on that arrow or on your broadhead um it's going to want to plane in the same way as if you were to put helical on it and it's just gonna it's gonna cause sporadic groups or a bigger group than what you want zero zero three is a pretty good average um that's mostly what you're going to see uh for arrows like most popular arrows i could think of in that category probably be gold tip xt hunters super popular arrow Eastern Axis, another super popular arrow. We sold tons of those. Um, even like the Victory, it's not the Gamer series. It's whatever comes with the green label. I can't think of it um, right now. Mm. Um, but that's another popular arrow. But if you can get a 001 arrow, even better. I could kind of call it stack intolerances. Like if you get like a bunch of stuff that's just kind of on average, and you're probably going to get a pretty average result, which is mostly what people are going to be shooting it's going to take a lot to notice a difference on it, but the best stuff that you can get is probably going to yield your best results when you end up doing all these steps to it. Mm-hmm. So I'll go straightest arrow. I can um, like with your arrow, uh, just cause you're pretty familiar with it. And I am too, cause I've shot the same one, like a Pierce tour is going to be the straightest gold tip arrow in the micro diameter. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, a lot of people shoot the platinums. I've shot platinums and I've shot them to 140 yards. They shoot great. So yep. that's the arrow that you want to shoot. I and shoot that, that one. That's time. the that's a zero zero two that or zero zero two um, straightness tolerance. Mm-hmm. Uh, but a tour is going to be the straightest, and I think that's what you and I had worked on before. But I'll go and put. Uh, Actually, when we did the testing, they were with the platinums. Okay. Yeah. So yep. I mean, that kind of proves that like you can get really good results All out right. of yep. a mid grade arrow. But I'll take uh glue in target point so it'd be a 166 target point and i'll put them on both sides of the arrow and i'll put them in an arrow press or in a bow press and i'll compress the arrow in the flat part of the press it, it really would only work with a uh, easy press if you have one but you're going to compress the arrow and see how it flexes uh, if you don't have a bow press which i if you're not familiar with the bow press do not go and press your arrows in them um, you can damage arrows yourself your equipment um, so if you're not experienced don't do it the easiest way for the average person to do it is build yourself a paper tuner you can there's plans all over the internet if you look it up you can find the stuff to do it you can even buy some but they're going to cost you a little bit but then go and cut your arrows from both sides or go to your pro shop and get them cut from both sides so if you're arrow is 27 inches long carbon to carbon subtract that from whatever uh your arrow came from so if it's 32 and a half or 32 inch arrow you're gonna take two and a half inches on both sides of it um that's how i have always cut my arrows i'm ocd with it so it bothers me if i don't do it that way um and then build it up um and then start shooting it through paper 
um, at that point, if you're going to do that, you're going to have to start tuning your bow a little bit. So it does shoot through paper, but you're wanting it to shoot bolt holes and you're going to turn your knocks until you, it, even if it's not shooting a bolt hole, say it's tearing high, right. As long as they tear high, right, the exact same on every arrow, when you turn your knocks, mm -hmm. you'll be able to get a pretty good index of how that arrow is going to consistently come out of your bow. It doesn't really like when you and I did it, we, we made it so the arrow flexed up and that's where we put our cock vein or the odd vein. Mm -hmm. It doesn't really matter as long as they're doing it the same way. And that's what paper or shooting through paper and checking what it's, what it's tearing is doing for you. It's just proving that it's coming out of the bow the same exact way. Right. Um, so once you get that done, go ahead and build your arrows up. I like to leave two bear shafts and no fletching on them. So you can start tuning with those. Um, and then move on to tuning your bow. I personally like drop away. Chris, rest, hold so on no. one second. I just want to get some clarification. So before you tune your bow, you are shooting the arrows through paper to basically you're knock tuning them through mm -hmm. paper to get them all leaving, you know, so that they're leaving the bow the same way every time. Correct. Yeah. That argument? And that's, that's kind of assuming that your bow's already kind of been in the ballpark of tuned before. Right. You don't want a bow shooting a four inch right tear on it and calling, start not tuning a bow. It's, yeah, it's yeah. assuming your bow's pretty close. Um, okay. They're going to correlate with each other. So you want to be able to um, start working with something consistent. If you're able to do what we did and index your arrows without tuning your bow, then which I think, Pete, perfectly honest with you, and now I've also done it with the ram, you know, with like the ram tool, and I find that that is way more effective than actually knock tuning because knock tuning you're introducing the shooter, mm -hmm. and if the shooter, you know, has inconsistent pressure or whatever, or does something a little bit different, a little more string contact or whatever like all that stuff is going to translate into the flight of that arrow and you might be adjusting against something that's a false positive right so absolutely um, especially if you don't have fletchings on the arrow yeah precisely that <laughs> you know that's like it's gonna amplify everything so and and it's like doing stuff like this, especially working on your own equipment, it's definitely going to be more for the advanced shooter that kind of knows what they're doing and, or at least having a good relationship with somebody at a shop. Like, yeah. Well, be, or be willing to pay for their time, right? Like, yeah, because it gets expensive. And if a shop wants to do that, then they're probably going to charge you for it. And not a lot of shops will do that anyways, but it's, it's time. It's the easy yeah. way to try and get to a, 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 better result i guess um you can go and have a shop tune their bows like if you go to there's an archery club when your bow leads it's shooting bullet holes right i've seen it i've i helped build that process with those guys when i was working there i've there's not a bow that leaves that shop that's not shooting a bullet hole we they will get it to shoot a bullet hole and that is a for 99 percent of people that's going to work you're not going to have to worry about stuff like that. But if you're wanting to dabble into doing your own stuff and well, he, this here's, is where it starts. Here's my thing with that. That goes back to what we were just talking about because that introduces the shooter. So mm -hmm. if one of the techs at Arizona Archery Club shoots a bullet hole with your bow, 
and your arrow set up, that doesn't mean I, I always, 100%, no matter what, if I get a bow that was that shoots a bullet hole for, you know, for one of the guys there and they give it to me, I can guarantee you it's not going to shoot a bullet hole for me because of the way I shoot. Mm-hmm. I, I don't have textbook form, I guess, and, you know, however way I torque the bow or my, my facial contact, whatever the case may be, I know it's not going to shoot a bullet hole. And that's mm-hmm. why it's important to have the bow tuned to you and to the way you shoot. So yes, getting a bullet hole is definitely an excellent starting point. And that's kind of always, now that's what my, my process is. I bring it there, they get it shooting a bullet hole and it's, that's the starting point, right? Well, that's always mm-hmm. kind of been my process, but and then I go from there, but anyway. And that's kind of like what I said about, it kind of jumps you into a rabbit hole because I mean, just because you're not shooting a bull doesn't mean you're not going to be able to kill stuff. Like uh-huh. I, I've seen some wild bow setups come through that shop and from some people that kill some big animals and there's just no, it, I'm way too OCD to deal with that. Like it, it freaks me out if something's off, but like the average person, it's going to work. Mm-hmm. Um, and if it doesn't, and I guess we can kind of tap on that a little bit. So like when Daniel and I were tuning bows, I nine and a half out of 10 times that we shoot a bullet hole, if we put it in the hooter shooter, it's going to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. And that's just from experience and learning. Um, so if say your bow did come from there and it doesn't shoot a bullet hole, it's probably something that you're doing that could be worked on. So before you start screwing with stuff to a, to an extreme that could be the time and especially in the off season to just learn your bow and learn how to shoot it because it's probably mm-hmm. almost perfect when it leaves there um but yeah I mean, well see uh, the problem I've shot i have bow with that is, and i can shoot a bolt hole and you shoot it and you've got a tear yeah see so, my, my problem with that is then you're asking for me specifically you know you're asking me to unlearn 35 years of of the way i shoot so and that's, and that's why and, I say that there's yeah that's the why each person is going to make it work because right. this is like advanced stuff yeah yeah absolutely yeah. so I mean for me like I I would rather spend the time tinkering or the money tinkering having somebody else tinker to have the bows shoot the way I needed to for the way that I shoot than me trying to reteach myself because mm-hmm. in the heat of the moment my mind is going to go back to what my body knows you know yep. and as as a hunter i want it to be as automatic as possible i don't want to have to think about i don't want to be like okay i need to have this facial contact and you know i don't want to like have to talk myself through steps to you know, that's fine and dandy for target shooting. And matter of fact, it would help most people because it slows them down. But in a hunting mm-hmm. situation, I feel like everything is so sped up that if you're not a hundred percent like running on autopilot, <laughs> you know, to an extent I shouldn't say a hundred percent, but if you're not running on autopilot for the most part, then you tend to have things go wrong. Now there's plenty of people that can 
slow it down. There's a lot of guys out there that, but not my style of hunting, not my style of shooting. Like I'm, you know, very, I don't know. I rely on the fact that I have this much muscle memory and this much uh, experience and so on and so forth. And that's going to translate to an efficient, effective shot. So, but. And that's where like practice comes in too. Like people think that just because it's all set up or if you get it set up two weeks before you go deer hunting or unit 10 elk tag that everything's good to go. Like good practice and you practice a lot will yield good results because in the heat of the moment, like when I'm shooting, even though I do all this stuff and like I've worked on my form and everything, I don't think about any of that. When there's a deer in front of me, I draw back and I shoot it. Like it's, and that's where practice comes in. When you practice good habits, you don't have to think about that stuff when you shoot. Cause if you don't practice, I mean, you can go and shoot, shoot bullet holes and all this stuff. And then you just put your bow away. Cause like, it's good now, but you can go and pick up your bow again, three months down the road and you shoot again and it's off and it's not shooting a bullet hole. And that's not, it's not your bow. That's you. Right. So if you're not practicing and like sticking with that and having a good habit, you won't have the same results every time. Mm-hmm. So if anything, it's kind of a disclaimer. Like I said, it's, you can do all this stuff and drive yourself absolutely nuts. Mm-hmm. And it just, it doesn't mean that you, it's wrong or it's off. It, a bow is going to do the same thing every time. You just want it to be as close as possible. Plus when you do all this stuff, you can go and beat the crap out of your bow for, three weeks bow hunting and come back and your bow's all out of whack just because you beat it up. So it's, it's, it's not even necessarily going to be the same when you're done hunting, but it's going to, it's going to do what it's supposed to. You're not trying to shoot a dot the size of a quarter at 70 yards. Like you would be shooting targets. It's your, your bow hunting. You're trying to shoot something that's anywhere from a softball size to a pie plate at 80 yards. Mm-hmm. You'll be able to do that, but it's a good, starting point once you get all that stuff done you're gonna be able to shoot a broadhead no problem assuming that the broadhead's straight i mean there's some bad broadheads out there that are super cheap and people just see them six pack of broadheads for 30 bucks that is the last broadhead i'm going to shoot i wouldn't shoot that broadhead at 20 yards you want to get a good broadhead um especially a fixed blade because it'll plane if it's not straight yep for sure all right so I kind of took you off track there a little bit. So we got, we <laughs> okay. got, um, you, uh, you either, you basically indexed your, your, your arrows, you built up your arrows now, like, and where's your, where's your next step from there? So like I said, it's kind of like a happy medium. As long as your bow's good and your arrows are good, you can start, you can start tuning. Um, mm-hmm. but I'll start shooting a bear shaft through paper again. Most people, I hope most people got their bow set up at a shop and they paper tuned it and it's good. If you do that, you don't have to do a lot of like major adjustments, like on the Matthews, for instance, swapping top hats. If it's shooting a bullet hole, you don't have to swap top hats when it leaves the shop. There'll be fine adjustments with your rest, but you don't have to do that. Um, the bows I'm shooting right now, like you can I've tuned them on the line because you can adjust them with Allen wrenches and not have to swap top hats to use a press. So it's super user-friendly. But again, it can shoot you down a, a rabbit hole doing that. But So assuming you're, the average person got their bow tuned at a, at a shop, it's shooting through paper, shooting bolt holes. 
I'll start with a bear shaft at 20 yards. And that, uh, this, again, the tuning thing can send you down a rabbit hole. If you have good form and you can do it every time, you can shoot a bear shaft. I don't really personally shoot a bear shaft more than 20 <laughs> yards because I've figured out what I can do and my abilities. Um, average person, shoot at 10 yards and make sure that you hit the, tar- the target before you start shooting bear shafts. Because if you have bad torque issues, you're not going to hit. You're going to miss. You're going to shoot the neighbor's fence, your house, whatever. You're going to hit something you don't want to hit. Um, <laughs> so start at a close distance and then shoot your bear shaft, shoot your, your fletched arrow. If your bear shaft is hitting to the stay straight to the right, it's impacting to the right and your knock is pointed to the left, that's essentially telling you that you've got a left turkey paper. To fix that, and it's a small increment, you can just bump your rest inside. If nothing really changes, then to be honest, for the average person, don't even worry about it. Just shoot a uh, a fletched arrow or a, a, a fletched arrow with a field point, but you shoot a fletched arrow with a fixed blade broadhead, mm-hmm. a good one at that. Um, I'd do like a, a slick trick standard. It's a easy broadhead to shoot. They work really well. They're really straight, but a fixed blade is going to show the same thing it's just not going to be a drastic so if your fixed blade hits say two inches to the right then you're going to bump your rest just a hair in and it'll end up joining those two together when you say a hair in you're you're, i'm saying like if you see those little not those little lines on your rest like a half lines width very follow you following the point of the arrow or you are you yeah okay so so you're following its impact. So if the broadhead is shooting to the right, mm-hmm. you're going to move your arrow rest to the right. And that'll start to join those two arrows together. But once you do that at 20 yards, you're pretty well off further than that. Um, anything else, you're you're going to chase yourself. A lot of people aren't really, not, I don't want to say aren't capable of doing it, but it's not really necessary to do that. Once it's doing that, you're going to be grouping just fine at almost all distances it's anything else other than that is heat of the moment stuff that things can go weird being tired facial pressure all that stuff like there's a million things that could cause bad arrow flight but that being said you need to have enough fletching too so my go-to always is a four fletch a lot of people say that it's overkill i've never noticed a a negative to shooting four fletch or having too much fletching i actually to contrary belief, think that it helps in the wind a little bit because when you make a bad shot, you see the tail end waggle, mm-hmm. and that's what fletching is for—to correct that and get everything planing back in line with the point. Right. Uh, that's what happens in the wind. The wind's not really going to push the point that much. I mean, it, it will just because there's something flying in the air, but um, it's going to push on the fletching side. Well, if you have enough fletching to correct that, it'll kind of fight it. Um, I figured that out probably four or five years shooting with uh, our friend Jake Willis that used to work at the shop. We yep. shot at 125 and gusting wind and I didn't aim off and was shooting a softball sized group that was maybe three inches off center, mm-hmm. three inches off center at a deer. I will take that every yep. day of the week. <laughs> yep. It's, it's going to work. So as long as you have enough fletching and that can cover up some form flaws too, uh, just because your arrow is not shoot or bear shafts, not shooting perfectly paper does not mean that you are going to have bad arrow flight or 
bad broadhead flight, um, bletching is there for a reason to fix that. So yeah. you don't necessarily have to live by a bear shaft tune or even a pair, paper tune for that matter, as long as they're grouping good um, and within reason with your field points. Yeah. So basically the process you just described with the, uh, with the broadheads and stuff, that's, that's broadhead tuning, right? Um, yep. And I know when we did that bow that I originally talked about my, my, my best shooting bow, we set out to have the broadhead, the field point and a bear shaft hitting the impacting the same spot I think we did it out to 30, maybe even 40 yards. Yeah. I mean, somebody and, that's got zero facial pressure and very consistent, can, it is possible to do it further. Right. But it, passed, which, which I don't. I do. 30, I, I have 30 yards of facial is pressure. starting to be, yeah. Like, I'm, yeah. I'm a side of the nose guy, you know, so like I kind of, I have quite a bit of facial pressure. Um, I think it was 30 because at 40, I remember distinctly that the bear shaft, the two fletched arrows were hitting together still fine at 40, but at the bear shaft was, was deviating, you know, a few inches to the, you know, top to bottom and straightness of it was all good, but it started deviating a little bit to the right, I believe at one point, but, um, and nobody's perfect. I know people that have shot bear shafts at 50, 50, 60 yards. Mm -hmm. I personally kind of think that's a waste of time and waste of, yeah, mental effort because that can drag you absolutely up the wall. But when it comes down to it, I and mean, you can go and we were doing it at the shop, seeing how far we can do it. And at 40 yards, your, your field point and your broadhead were hitting together, but your bear shaft was like eight inches away, mm-hmm. but you still hit what you're aiming at. Like that's, you're not going to shoot a bear shaft at an animal. Never. No, uh, you're no. not going to shoot one at a target. It doesn't matter. It's just, trying to get everything in line. Your fletchings are going to take over far before that bear shaft ever matters. Yeah. I think we, I think we proved that like six feet, the fletching kicks in something like that. Yeah. Six feet past your bow. Yeah. So, and, and like even like the left, right helical thing, like it, it, it doesn't matter that much past the same, same distance. I think it was, six feet or 10 yards or something like that. By the time that happens, like none of it matters anymore. Your fletchings have completely t- taken over. Mm-hmm. Everything's going to be just fine. I and mean, I think, what was it like two, I think we did that like two years ago, two and a half years ago, where we were testing the left and right yeah, vehicle. Yeah. Thing. There wasn't a whole um, lot of difference in velocity at the, at terminal velocity. So like if you had a, uh, and what and where Chris is ta- alluding to is, you know, a lot of people will clock their arrows, which means they want to see naturally what way the arrow is coming off the string, which way it wants to spin. And I and I I went down this road. I did it for a while, and I've since gone back to just fletching everything right heelical, um, and mainly because of. Um, the ease of doing it and because they're I typically shoot a single bevel broadhead and I want it to rotate the same on impact. You know, I don't want two opposing forces. Yeah, like with with that, like I almost feel like in my head, I mean I haven't tested it, but in my head it doesn't really make a lot of sense 
to have a, a arrow fletched to the left with a broadhead, like a single bevel, like that you're talking about that wants to go to the right, which mm-hmm. a single bevel people don't know it will act like a vein. It will start itself spinning to the right. Yep. So if you have left fletch because you figured out that your bow clock to the left mm-hmm. and then you go and put a right bevel broadhead, which I'm sure that there's left bevel broadhead. There, there is. There. I was I just going to really say, I went, down that, <laughs> I went down that road too. So there is a mechanical advantage to have a, so if your bow naturally shoots like left, uh, you know, it clocks the arrow shoots uh, to the left, it, there is a mechanical advantage to having a left helical broadhead and a left helical fletch, but it's so minuscule. Like I'm talking, I think in, and I don't even remember now off the top of my head. You could go back and look. I think it was in my in my testing. Uh, you could look it up, but I want to say like there was like a thirty second of an inch uh, in penetration on ballistic gel difference oh with the with the beveled broadhead yeah with the no having it all going left so it was a left left helical um a left helical single bevel it went and the 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 bow naturally wanted to shoot uh the arrow clocked left and i and i left fletched everything um and it was like a 32nd of an inch it might have been a 16th which i mean 16th is definitely measurable. So let's say it was a 16th. And I think the end result uh, using the lab radar, it was either one or two feet per second faster. And when it comes, even when it comes down to stuff like that and the way that, not like discrediting it because it's been done, it's been tested. But when it comes down to that, those chronographs have like, yeah, they're not a certain percentage of deviation. Like you could shoot a hundred arrows through a chronograph and have five feet per second difference just because of how it worked and how you shot where you shot it through. Yeah, like you could you could shoot through the best chronographs like a lab radar. Those things are expensive. Yeah, and have some kind of deviation because I mean it's a it's a bow that the arrows are so it's the exactly it's the, the average, same way. Uh, yeah, the so average of the five shots with it fletched in that broadhead was about one one to two feet per second faster than the average of it, you know, having opposing forces basically. Yeah. You know, and the, and the other thing too, why I don't shoot a a left helical or left offset on a hunting setup or with a broadhead. And this is in my head. I know people do it. I know people are successful doing it. If you want to do that, it screws out the broadhead when you pull it out. (laughs) I have, I have yet to ever see, in my 10 years of experience, or even like I'm, I'm turning 36 this year. So I guess I've been shooting for well over 30 years. I have yet to ever see an insert threaded to the left. And in my head, that just doesn't make sense. I don't want to do it. <laughs> yeah. no. Or a broadhead that threads to the left. Again, I'm sure that they're out there, but the average stuff that you're going to buy from, a, I don't think that there's going to be a pro shop, the average pro shop that you go to, or like a Cabela's, yeah. whatever where you find anything like that they're 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 pretty hard to find the the different well, some some single bevel companies offer it like i know rms does a cutthroat you know the cutthroat the helix you can buy them in left 
Maybe. Does it come with a left insert system? No, it doesn't. So it still spins in, you know, still, that's the whole thing. Like you shoot something and if it was just a little loose, that broadhead can come loose in flight. And I, I'm with you. That was, that was definitely a, one of the deciding factors for me. And there's a huge initial force when the bow leaves or when the arrow leaves the bow too. Um, And it just, there's a certain span, which I don't know what it is. I've never really cared that much to where your arrow kind of starts off slow and then it gets a little bit faster and it's not going 280 feet per second straight out of the bow. It speeds up a little bit. Oh yeah. But there's an initial impact where you have that force. So if you're not paying attention and your arrow, your broadheads aren't tight. I mean, everybody has, that I know, even shooting a right helical, you have shot field points that came loose. Oh yeah. All the time. So if it, so if it can happen when the arrow's spinning in the correct direction or what I think is the correct direction, it's for sure going to happen with arrow that's spinning the opposite. And even though it might not matter or make sense for people to do that if that broadhead even comes kind of loose because most of these single bevels are fixed blades uh-huh. that's just as good as having an arrow that's so far out of whack that you're you're you basically inducing helical on it because it's wobbling so it's not going to fly correctly anyways right right you can you can have the most perfect tuned bow and if that happens you're gonna miss yeah that's and, and plus the the effort that goes into you know into it like they it definitely didn't justify whatever like i said whatever mechanical advantage i gained um yeah so that's why i did i did i definitely at first i was like oh this is great let me you know this hell i'm gonna pick up one or two feet per second like to me that i'm that kind of anal guy that's worth it and then i started like looking at the bigger picture with the spinning like we were just talking about the threading and then i can't really shoot the broadheads that i want to shoot i'm kind of limited to those and i was like yeah it's not really worth it just like Another thing that I've done in the past that I know I used to do really back in the day, used to do it a lot, was I used to index my broadheads. Again, I found there is a measurable mechanical advantage somehow, but it was so minuscule that I was like, I mean, it takes me an extra, you know, 40 minutes to to do my arrows if I, or an hour me sometimes, whatever that it's like, is it really worth it for me to do that? Although and I'm super anal and that to me, no, <laughs> that's yeah. why I kind of wanted to like throw the disclaimer out there that just because you're not achieving this, these kinds of like super technical, perfect results does not mean that something's wrong with the bow, you, the person that tuned it, like don't go and beat yourself up or go beat up your bow tech because everything is not perfect. Like, we're people <laughs> we're not perfect we're not going to shoot perfect mm-hmm. it, it, just because you can't achieve perfect results does not mean that there's something wrong with you the bow or the shop that initially set up your bow right right now speaking about the indexing one thing i've did have since i've been shooting iron wheels on my on on the setups that i use the fixed blade um the iron wheel and at and there's a few other companies that, that I've noticed this too, but the threading on the on the broadhead itself, it, it comes in two versions, basically. So 
And what I mean by that is their starting point for when they started putting the thread on on the ferrule, there's two starting points. So when I crank down an, an arrow, or excuse me, crank down a broadhead, the where it terminates is the exact same, but two there's two versions of that. Uh, hopefully you're still following me. So mm-hmm. on something like, okay, so I shoot schwackers. On the schwacker, there's like five different, maybe six different <laughs> starting points, maybe more than that. It might be infinite. I don't know. So basically... However, the machining is done, it doesn't grab the ferrule from the same way each time for when the threading is being cut on it, which means you actually have to physically connect that broadhead with that arrow to have it indexed, and they always have to be a pair. You can't take that broadhead off, put it on another shaft, and it be indexed. So with the iron wheels, since there's only two, I set up six arrows really easily because I could just all I have to do is make a mark now, and they're basically indexed. They're almost all perfectly going the same way for six arrows and six arrows the other way. And as long as I keep my six the six going one way in one box and the six going way in the other box, I know that my arrow would be indexed. And it do- that doesn't take me long at all to do. And I don't have to keep my broadheads matched to that arrow. So... Yeah, because I have zero experience with shooting an iron wheel. Uh, did you notice a difference on average of how those impacted or did they still group together? I hadn't tested it, but they were they're all grouped together so well and I haven't tested it with or, you know, with indexing and without... Um, and just my and assumption, mainly, because, mainly because what I shouldn't high end broadheads like that are probably not going to notice a huge difference. Yeah, I I think it's more of a confidence thing for you personally. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one of the things that I, especially if you're shooting where I where I do see an advantage, if you're shooting trad and you're looking down the shaft of the arrow, you get the same sight picture over and over again Mm -hmm. because you see the tip i I mean i shoot with the tip you know point on so if i don't have the same you know view of my broadhead then i it's going to mess me up but on a compound bow i don't know like if it wasn't super easy for me to do i probably wouldn't do it i think i just do it so they 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 lay nice in my quiver you know and i get the fletching going all the same way and they're not smushing up against each other and all that crap i don't know i don't know that I haven't done enough testing to say that with a really high-end broadhead, this is going to make a difference. I'd have to probably do it with a hooter shooter, and I'd probably have to do it at a pretty long range because at you know, 50 yards or less, I'm going to probably be just cutting freaking fletching off or screwing up arrows, and I won't be able to really get much testing done. But I would have to imagine from my years of experience back in the day when I used to index all my broadheads and I did see when I didn't have such a well-tuned bow or were shooting such well-equipped, uh, you know, uh, high you know, precision equipment, I 
I did notice a difference. I have to imagine there is a difference because it goes back to the same thing as what we were doing with having the arrow leave the rest the same way. It's leaving the bow with the same, you know, the same plane, you know, each time. So there probably is some advantage to it. I just don't know if you or me or anybody else that's not a super duper elite shooter could probably, you know, take advantage of that. <laughs> so, so like with me, I mean, I shoot a four flex for everything hunting wise. Mm-hmm. I mean, if I were, if I were shooting a drop away for my target setup, I'd shoot a four fletch. but even at, like shooting a, a two blade broadhead with a, with a three flex or a four flex, I've always been like asking the question, okay, well, like if you're going to index your arrows, well, then how are you going to do that two blade broadhead? Because if I'm going to shoot a fixed blade, it's either going to be a four blade or a two blade, Mm -hmm. uh, just because that's how my brain works with it and makes sense with it. I don't think that you would notice a huge difference with it. So you're saying trying to match the blades with the fletching? Yeah, like so. For me, the indexing is just having them that they're all going the same way. I typically like with a two blade, and I shoot the three blade, uh, three vein blazers. I have it so that when the the blade, the two blade that uh, is straight up and down, and it's parallel, or excuse me, I guess parallel would be the word for uh, with the with the cock vein, with the top vein. And I did, I did that a while back. So I was shooting a mechanical. It had like big, uh, it's kind of like how big Slackers has, has those little, I guess, activation arms you can call them. Mm-hmm. I was shooting a, a broadhead that had, uh, had those and I turned them all just so they're out of the way of my hand. But I would think just from how I think of things, if there was a difference on how you had to index your broadhead, mm-hmm. other than, just that's how you liked it and and it made sense to you right if there was an actual difference in grouping or how they shot i would immediately add more veins to my arrow just to get rid of that because if there is a difference in that Uh when you make a bad shot it's going to amplify that even more so that's that's why i shoot a four fletch and even with a mechanical yeah um i'll shoot a four fletch three inch vein because when I make a bad shot, I want the veins to correct it that much. Cause when you have an animal in front of you, or I, I don't know about anybody else, but I'll get jacked up if there's a small deer in front of me. Like it just happens that way. <laughs> and you're not going to make a good shot when that happens. And you might, but probably not. A normal person is probably going to be panicking when they go and shoot. So if there's going to be some kind of deviation because of how you, you were indexed, um, with a fixed blade, mm-hmm. I would go to a four fletch for sure, yeah. just to kind of mitigate some of that. After after we did the vein testing, I'm I'm a pretty anti four fletch guy. <laughs> so I'm surprised that you. I, I mean, I I'm not surprised, bit because given your your reasoning behind it, but being the one of the guys that helped me out the most with that with that vein testing, the the four fletch really didn't perform as well as a three. And I think for me, I know, I know the reason why I went back to blazer because even though it wasn't the top performing uh, fletching out of all the ones that we did, it was certainly, I think it was either top three or 
to many, many even second. No, it was definitely it was the third third best performing. And the reason why I didn't go with the you know number one performing was because of the extra work involved. I don't have, like having to use primers. And the main reason was I went back to the fact that I have 30, you know, or 20 some odd years of, of like infield success with that fletching. Right. And, and that setup that, you know, if it ain't broken, don't fix it. It's kind of a, yeah, that, a great thing, but so. And anyway. it brings us back to what we said at the beginning about that, that one special bow, like you're confident yeah. in that. And yeah. that, that's what I'm saying. Like there's, there's not a right answer for everything. I mean, Tuned is tuned, but what you choose, you should be shooting what you feel confident in. Otherwise, you're never going to feel confident. And if it's something that you don't like, I mean, it could be down to the colors of the veins. Like, if that bothers you, don't shoot it. Yeah. Like, that used to, it, that used to bother to, me. <laughs> that used oh, to bother right. me, too. I'm superstitious. Like, I yeah. will not hunt with with something other than pink veins and blue knocks. Like, I'm, that's just, if I shoot something else just in my head, like, that's not what I shot. Like it, it yeah. bothers me. Yeah, it, it sounds stupid, and I'm sure it does. It sounds stupid to me, but like that's just why I've always done that. Like if you go through all my arrows, like 99 percent of them are all pink veins of blue knocks. Yeah, um, I but like a if very similar if you're, thing here too. But I, if, if you're not confident in something, like eventually, I mean, you might be happy with your results doing something else, but eventually, you're probably going to. Re- go back to what you're shooting before because you're confident in it. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's yeah. to me in my head. And there's other variables of why I shoot what I do. Like I felt like, uh, uh, an AA max stealth was super quiet. I was shooting a four fletch because I felt like it was more forgiving for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, not saying that that was right or wrong. That's just what I thought of it. And I've shot, or max stealths for 10 years and not had an issue with it right. or since at least since the, the stealth came out no i, I, I had listen, issues with I, it. but people the blazer has killed more animals since they came out probably than anything they come there's a reason why they come stock on pretty much everything or at least that profile yeah i it's it works i mean, the only reason why i never really cared for them very much was that i thought that they're allowed um because of that tall profile, like a an A Max Hunter is kind of like it's the A counterpart to that. Mm-hmm. They have another one that's a Blazer profile. Yep. And I shoot the Max Hunter for 3D because it works extremely well on a big shaft. Um, it's very tall, but it's also very loud. Um, yeah. And I don't necessarily. I mean, that's another thing to kind of go down about animals jumping the string. Like I want, I want to have the quietest most accurate hunting bow that I can. Mm-hmm. And I you shot a ton of animals with blazers. Shane, which has been on the podcast, that's all he will shoot. Yeah. Uh, he's killed a ton of animals. Like they work. So if you like them, shoot them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I I'm with you with the with the sound thing. Uh they're definitely not the quietest. But um I don't know. Do you remember that we I, we proved, or maybe you weren't part of that? I think you might have left to go to where did you go? Like Arkansas or some shit? Where did you move? Oh, from when five? I moved to Alabama. Oh, Alabama. That's what it was. I think yeah, because you didn't get to finish it up. We actually proved that the four fletched, even with the stealth, was louder than the three fletch blazer. So that was like that was like another no no for me. 
But anyway. And I, for with most broadheads, especially, uh, not even especially a mechanical, but any broadhead that has a hole in it uh-huh. is going to be way louder oh, yeah. than your fletching will ever yeah, I, I won't so shoot. Like, I won't shoot a vented. <laughs> I won't shoot a vented broadhead anymore. They literally like I was them. shooting. I was shooting uh, a mechanical, but like <laughs> I, the arrow was silent. Like we shot it through a decibel reader or near a decibel reader, mm-hmm. and the arrow was super quiet. Like a a, four, a a stealth was pretty quiet when it came down to comparing it to whatever other vein. Mm-hmm. Um, like just. To pick on the bar, the thing that we've been talking about, like if you shoot a max hunter or a, a stealth against a blazer, even three fletch, the stealth is going to be quieter just because oh, yeah. of its profile and height. But when you go and put a broadhead on it, like you might as well throw all that crap out the door. Like it's unless you're shooting an unvented broadhead of whatever, uh, like a, a swacker with the like the arms that don't have holes in it. I mean, I was shooting um, rages at the time, and we. We shot them, and those things whistled more than any broadhead you can put on it. So it didn't really matter when it came down to it. Yeah, no, that's it's uh, it's pretty bad. I re- I remember listening to or hearing the first time my my cousin was shooting Montex, the G five Montex at first, and that for every first design that came out, they had these like little um. I don't even know what they were like indentions. So between the venting and these little like indentions, that thing sounded like one of those like screaming, uh, <laughs> like, I don't know. It's like a firework almost. It was like, <laughs> you know, it was so loud. I was like, how do people even hit anything with this thing? Like I could almost jump out of the way, <laughs> you know? And I, that was like one of the first realizations on how loud, the broadhead could be and you know now i i 100 i will never shoot a vented if i'm gonna shoot if i'm shooting fixed blade i'm never shooting a vented a uh, vented broadhead i saw a lot of and a lot of the um the mechanicals like you said they're super loud like the way that they are so a lot of them are kind of even rattly they'll make like a like a, I don't even know what kind of a noise, like a metallic noise going through the air. Um, that's actually one of the reasons why I landed on Schwacker years ago because it was kind of so streamlined and not much hanging off of it. I know those, like Tim Gillingham, super big fan of those thorns. That's about as close to a field point as you could possibly get you know, from a sound sound standpoint and from uh, aerodynamics, I just don't like the whole plunger style. You know, to me, it's just like too much of a failure point. Hey guys, I wanted to take a moment to discuss some really important stuff with you. Take a minute and think hard about what hunting and fishing and the outdoors means to you. Now, I want you to imagine if all of that went away. It's a pretty grim picture, right? Now that I have your attention, there's a long time narrative out there that has been promoted by the anti-hunting and fishing groups to paint sportsmen and women as villains. We need to stop this narrative. We need to bring the truth to light. So how do we do that? We educate ourselves on the North American model of conservation and 
the common myths that are pushed out by the animal activists. We take this knowledge and we start communicating with our non-hunting friends, coworkers, and just educate them on the truth. But I really want you to become an expert in your own right because the last thing we want to do is to put out false information or to offend somebody. So it's really important to just fill yourself with knowledge and become, unfortunately, become an activist. You have to become an activist. And I know that's a dirty word, but now more than ever, it's important for us to do that. We need to start planting our own seeds. That way, we develop more people, we turn more people into sympathizers. Because right now, we're faced with these issues where if a anti-hunting bill reaches the ballot, now Halfa Wildlife has been very successful at eliminating that, getting there, but we can't rely on that. Unfortunately, if it gets to the ballot, the anti-hunting, the animal activist groups, animal rights groups, they are in position to launch campaigns to the non-hunting public and they will pump propaganda into urban areas where people don't necessarily know anything about hunting and fill their minds with all kinds of lies and paint pictures of cute and cuddly bears and lions and wolves and paint this terrible picture of you, the hunter, the sportsman, who is the whole reason why these animals are on the landscape. So it is important for us to start in a grassroots effort, start changing the minds and educating the non-hunting public on the truth. That way, if something like this does go to the ballot box, you have possibly created a sympathetic voter for the sportsman. Keep that in mind. Think about it. Thank you very much. Let's get back to the show. Dude, it's uh, the one thing I've learned about uh, doing all this that you always got to give up something to gain something. Like, Absolutely. There's no, <laughs> there's no, you can't have your cake and eat it too with everything. It's, you could find the, you know, happy medium. You could find like, you know, kind of the best of all worlds, but you don't really, not, I shouldn't even say the best of all worlds because that, that would imply that you're not giving up anything. You, you, you could find, Almost perfect, but you can never get perfect because you, you can find like a median with it. Yeah, and right? you 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 want something that's going to be accurate and stable and quiet. Like for for a hunting setup for me, bow and arrow combination because they go together, and that's like with the tuning thing. That's kind of why we brought in the arrow aspect because it does matter in the tune. Right. I want something that's going to be. My, what I'm looking for personally is I want a, a hunting bow that's going to be somewhere in the 280s for speed. I don't like going, I don't do the whole like shoot over 300 feet per second because of, for whatever reason, like it's loud and I yeah. feel like it's less accurate. I want something somewhere in the 280s, uh, mid to upper 280s, and I'll shoot whatever arrow weight that it takes to get there. Um, if it's a 410 grain arrow, that's what I'm shooting. If it's 500 grain arrow, I'll shoot that too. Somewhere in that speed range, I want something to be as quiet as it can, both the bow and the arrow. So a heavier arrow 
inherently is going to make the bow quieter and something accurate. Like I want it to hit where I'm aiming. If you can't have accuracy, accuracy is number one. Like the whole rabbit hole of FOC and this and that, like I don't care if you have all the FOC in the world, if you can't hit what you're aiming at, it does not matter. Right. Um, (laughs) You want it to hit where it's aiming at. And that's when it comes down to it. And you could set up an arrow for whatever reason to break up shoulder or whatever. If it's not hitting behind the pin, then it doesn't matter in the, to begin with. Like I want something to hit right behind the pin, even when I make a mediocre shot, uh, at least I know what's in my control mm-hmm. that it's going to make it to what I was aiming at. Then there's other variables. There's wind, there's the animal hearing something, getting spooked, seeing you turning for whatever reason. And it happens. It will happen. If it hasn't happened to you, you haven't hunted enough. Right. If it's not going to hit, when that shot breaks, if it's not going where the pin was, then it doesn't matter what your setup was. Yeah, for, absolutely. Absolutely. I um, I don't know if I if I got this from you or not. I'm the same way. I want my, my bow to be shooting 280 feet per second between 280 and 290 max. Um, and realistically, like most setups from what I've seen are somewhere in that area. So like, you don't have to go buy a whole new set of arrows or change mm-hmm. your limbs out or whatever, because it's not going there. You can be just as accurate as anything else, but that's just, that's kind of my goal. I don't like to be much faster than 300. Cause I feel like a lot of stuff starts getting weird and not stabilizing quicker. Well, the faster you're shooting, the less time the arrows in the air, obviously, but also you want to have the arrow in the air for some amount of time so your veins can stabilize it. Because if you make a bad shot, like you want it to get there slower. You just don't want it to go turtle slow. Like I'm not going to shoot a 230 foot per second setup because I wanted to shoot a 560 grain arrow or something like that. Like yeah. that doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. No, <laughs> I mean, there there's maybe a, a few hunts out there that require that, but you know, if I'm going water Buffalo hunting or some shit like that, but I'm, for everything in North America, I I start with the speed and I have some other parameters as far as my arrow is concerned. Like I like to have – so I start with the speed. Then I also like to go with the stiffest arrow. I don't – not mm-hmm. necessarily – I like to go with the stiffest arrow that I can get away with to – and stay within these other parameters, which I'm going to say was uh, – 14 to 16 percent foc maximum really don't like to go under 13 percent and um and then the stiffness so like i kind of build my arrow to that to yeah. that and then you know wherever they end up they end up so for me most of the time on my deer setup i have two different setups now but my deer setup is typically you know t- about 400 and 440 grains total weight and then my elk setup is just a little bit heavier only because i've gone with a little bit stiffer arrow um and it's like 460 something it's a little bit slower you know um 270 i mean yeah 270 some feet per second but not much slower. Just I, I went with a little bit. I went with two fifty spine versus a three hundred. Um, 
So you know, with me, like I've my best shooting arrow arrow setup was a gold tip velocity pro mm-hmm. with just standard standard insert. I didn't do anything weird doing it. More flex with a wrap. So like if you're I don't even know how to measure FOC, like I doesn't really matter to me. Yeah. But like that was if you were to measure, I'm sure it was a pretty low FOC arrow. And that thing, that was the, the arrow setup that was shooting at 125 in the wind. Right. And it didn't really drift. But like, if you, I've also seen people go and weaken up their arrow so much that it won't tune because they wanted to jack up the front weight. Mm-hmm. Won't tune, doesn't track right, gets super finicky. Like one of the worst arrow setups that I had, and it wasn't even bad when I say that, but for me, it wasn't very great. It was a... 300 spine airstrike with 180 grains in the front. Like when I made a good shot, it was pretty good. But when I made a bad shot, it was nowhere near where I was aiming at. And that's kind of why I like, I'll just set, set up an arrow. However they come out of the pack, that's how it was designed for to me. And that's all been build it. Um, if I ever add point weight, it was only to make my arrow heavier. And I can't add carbon to the arrow and make it heavier. That's the only place where you can actually do it. So. Yeah. Um, but I'm, I'm the same way with arrow spine. Like I don't try, like if you're, if you're whatever spine chart you're looking at says this shoot a three forty spine, I'm going to shoot a 300 spine. Yeah. I feel like it re- recovers faster for one. Oh, yeah. Um, and that's gonna, that's gonna help groups too. But two, when it hits an animal, it's, it's, it's straightened out faster. So it's going to drive harder. Right. Exactly. Um, I think overall, like this and the arrow driving like that is going to matter way more than than any kind of point weight or whatever you do to an arrow to make it penetrate better. Like right. if you're shooting a, a weak arrow, it's just going to fold on itself. I yep. mean, take a take a, a a nail and drive it into a piece of wood, and it's going to drive it. Try to do the same thing with a straw. I mean, it's kind <laughs> of extreme, but it's it's the same thing. It's just going to crumble on itself. The energy's dispersing outwards rather than in. Well, here's the thing that hit home for me, like. When people were like, oh, you know, I, but I want to, I want to have the speed, you know, whatever. So my cousin, Anthony, whom, you know, obviously he, his arrow is a 340 spine, right? Mm-hmm. And we found that his bow in the lab radar, actually, when he shot the 340 versus the 340, so that we built both arrows to be about the same weight within a few you know few grains of each other the weaker spined arrow came out of the bow slower because the arrow bends more this is what i can tell with the you know in the with the slow motion the arrow bends more flexes more from the pressure of the string on the bow and you lose some of that energy into the bend versus more of it being transferred, more of it being transferred into the stiffer arrow. Like, so like you got to think about that stuff. Like if you got a really high FOC and you got this basically a spaghetti noodle behind, you know, 250 grains of, of broadhead and you're doing that because you're trying to keep your total weight at a certain thing, or you're trying to keep your FOC up, you could be like really hurting the power stroke of your, of your bow. Like you're not, you're not getting all the, uh, all the energy that you could be getting. 
mm-hmm. you know, a heavier, or basically what I'm saying is like, so I just told you that my, my elk setup is a 250 spine. It's, you know, 20 some odd grains, total weight heavier, uh, 25 grains. I think it's, I think it's 466 is what it is. And my other one is 440. So 26 grains, that bow is only like, or that arrow is only like three feet per second, four feet per second slower than the other arrow. And I think a lot of that has to do with, yeah, it's only 26 grains, but at the same time, it also has to do with that arrow is flexing less and you're, you're using more of, you're transferring more of the string energy to the, to the arrow itself. And a lot of that stuff has to do with camera efficiency these days too. Like, uh, I mean, a lot of these things, like, like I've said a bunch, like when it comes down to it, it doesn't really matter that much because especially it bows today, like the stuff that even you're shooting 10 years ago is so much different than the stuff that we're shooting now. Like I've, I've done the testing on the same bow with an arrow from 400 grains to 500 grains. Cause I wanted to see like how heavy can I actually shoot an arrow and it starts to like, just dive off. Like it's not that efficient anymore or keeping it speed. And I, I had a bow that it was shooting probably 300 feet per second with a 410 grain arrow. And I only lost like six feet per second by going to a 470 or 80 grain arrow and it just didn't dive off that much. But if I shot like a, a 500 grain arrow, it was like 15 feet per second. Like mm-hmm. it's, yeah, it just kind of shows that like you can get perf- performance out of most things, but like you start going there, you can do everything to an, ex- to an excessive amount. Like there's, there's all anything in life. There's too much of something. Yeah, like, yeah. there's there's a median to it and you don't want to necessarily deviate from that median or you start losing performance with the bow um you don't necessarily have to be shooting a 550 grain arrow to get good penetration i mean wow that that more and more, more animals sure. have been killed yeah with far less just from some guy buying their stuff buying a, a random set of arrows from cabela's and then going and cutting with it like that's honestly nothing wrong with that but that's the average shooter like that's that's the average person picking up a bow like you and i this is our life what we do and live for like it's completely my life like this has been my career for 10 years yeah uh, it doesn't it doesn't really matter there's when it comes down to it like you like i said there's more than one way to skin a cat and it's effective like the one thing that always drove me nuts working in a shop is one arrow people talking about arrow weight and how they didn't penetrate and broadheads like it it doesn't matter like you're you're blaming the wrong thing yeah, exactly yeah <laughs> like exactly. i don't know anybody for whatever brand broadhead fixed blade mechanical whatever i've yet to have anybody bring me proof that that's why your animal got away yeah. you made a bad shot and you shot an elk in the shoulder you're not going to bust through that like it's going to take a special circumstance to do that or an arrow weight thing like my 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 arrow didn't pass through whatever like i i was shooting i was hunting uh i think it was last year i shot a coos deer at 28 yards and that arrow did not pass through and that was a 400 
65 green arrow mm-hmm. shooting 76 pounds and the shot was 28 yards away okay. i made a bad shot i shot it a little bit high and i know it didn't pass through because i found my arrow in three pieces yeah. and the last third the fletching third of my arrow had zero blood on it and that's a coos deer at a close distance like right i've shot texas whitetails at the same distance and found my arrow 60 yards behind it oh, and yeah. it was the same same arrow set literally the same arrow setup i didn't I pulled them out from the year before that I went and hunted in Texas. Like I didn't change anything. In fact, I was five pounds heavier with my bow and I didn't pass their accused deer. It's just that, that when that happened, cause I ended up losing that deer. When that happened, all this stuff that people talk about, like FOC arrow weight poundage, all that crap. I had all of it. Like I was shooting 180 grains in the front of a light arrow. Mm-hmm. I, it was a high FOC arrow a smaller four-fletched vein, um, it, even increasing uh, that. I don't want to get into, like, broadhead stuff, but I was shooting a mechanical. Mm-hmm. And that All that stuff, like, I shot the same exact, that same broadhead, that same arrow setup, five pounds lighter, and I killed a, a Oryx in Texas and went quarter to quarter on it, like the worst quartering shot you could possibly take, and I watched it die in 10 yards. I chased... I tracked this deer for three miles. I, I tracked it on my Onyx, right. um, like how much I actually walk. I did over three miles in like a 300 yard circle, just looking for this deer and it got away. Like it, it didn't pass through. I, I shot my elk with a lower FOC arrow. It was probably 455 grains, 76 pounds and i watched it die in 80 yards like yeah. a lot of that uh, stuff just doesn't matter and i need a bad I shot know that, i know the feeling man <laughs> i've been I, i've been there myself and you I saw it right above this like my broadhead went through this the the top part of the shoulder like that's where i hit it had i hit so high luckily i watched that elk die because there was zero blood like we would have been screwed i hit it so high and i watched it die in 80 yards like when it comes down to it it's situational. Like it doesn't, it really doesn't matter. We can chase all this stuff till our, our minds explode. When it comes down to it, it's just choose something that's accurate. You're comfortable in and try it the best you can to put it in the right spot because eventually you're going to lose something. Yeah. And that's just, that's just part of hunting or hunting with a bow. I mean, it happens with rifle hunters too. They make a, a terrible shot and they lose the, whatever animal they shot and, you could right. be shooting a 338 Lapua and make a terrible shot. Right. And exactly. you've got that chance. I mean, your chances are higher because you're shooting that caliber, but it doesn't mean that it's necessarily going to die. Like, yeah. Or at least die. It, they're going to die, but probably not where you wanted it to. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I, I, Dude, I've I've had that realization so many times. I've told this story a million times on this podcast, but... Um, you know, in, in 2016, I shot my elk here in Arizona, 83 yards, got a pass through with a Schwacker broad, a Schwacker mechanical and a 426 grain total arrow, total weight arrow. And then in 2020 in Argentina, I snuck up to 18 yards and that same arrow actually sorry a heavier version of that uh 443 green 
but same broadhead and everything. And 18 yards, I shot what I thought was a perfect shot. It was right behind the shoulder. And and I know I know that what where it was because I end up killing that same red stag five or or a week later. <laughs> Found him and killed him a week later. Um but I just didn't get any he, he pulled it he must have pulled his shoulder back or something happened right when I shot that you know, I only got six inches of penetration or whatever the case may be. But I mean, I know exactly that that wound was all festered. It had like, you know, freaking maggots growing in and everything when I killed them. And it was pretty nasty. But like, that's the shit that that happens. Like I had 83, 83 yard shot with a lighter arrow pass through and I shot 18 yards with a heavier arrow, a faster bow <laughs> and and all this stuff. And I still didn't get the desired outcome right so that's another thing too like even big animals like that and i don't know where you stand on it but with me i don't want to shoot an elk in the heart like there that's dangerous (laughs) yeah yeah there's so like what you were just saying like you could put yes that is the ideal spot to kill them too quick whatever but if they turn weird or they run they hurt the arrow whatever it may be and that leg goes back that arrow snapping off. Yep. No, you're you're and, you're 100 right. My brain goes there, so it's hard for me to like. Like I said earlier, you know, I'm pretty automatic. I'm pretty autopilot kind of guy, mm-hmm. so I don't always have the conscious, uh, you know, decision to not go there. So my, but because my pin when I'm shooting at an animal or target, even when, even when I'm 3D shooting, like. I shoot it like I was trying to kill an animal, not trying to shoot a, you know, a 16. Um, so, like, I, I I shot an elk, and, I mean, that that is the ideal place to go. I have no problem shooting a deer in the shoulder right there. Yeah. Um, and that was another thing, like, we were hunting does in Texas, and I wanted to see what it would do. Like, I was shooting I was shooting a, a, a rage no-collar. Mm-hmm. People like that is a, a controversial broadhead, and the brand in general is controversial. But I wanted to see what would happen, and I shot it as dead into the shoulder as I possibly could, and it went through both shoulders, through the heart, and fifty yards out the other side. And that doe is running on her face. Yep, <laughs> when, when it died, <laughs> literally, like it was the craziest thing I've ever seen. But I blew through both of them. Like it can happen. It will never happen on an elk. Like I won't do it. Like no. I, sh- I shot an elk in the shoulder, and I ended up losing it. And it was a pretty good sized elk, and it it destroyed me. Yep. And um, the next elk I drew on, my pin was right in the same spot, and I had to consciously tell myself, Chris, don't do that. Take your pin off that spot, and just put it in the lungs. It'll die. And because I had my pin right where I had done it before. And there's just the bone structure on an elk. They're huge. So much can happen in that area. And I consciously told myself, don't do that again. And I moved my, my pin six inches further back, shot it and watched it pile up. Yeah. But it's, and I think all of us are like that because that's where the heart is. Like you hit the heart, they're dead. 
And a lot of times that's not necessarily, I mean, maybe if it was like a hard quartering away and you can shove that arrow up under its rib and get to the heart because you're probably get you're going to take out the lungs anyways and probably hit the heart if you shot it low enough. I mean, yeah. that that's probably an ideal shot, but uh, I am outweighing things. I don't want to shoot an elk anywhere near the shoulder because if it starts running and it didn't pass through, they're going to snap it off. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, awesome, man. I know uh, I can sit on here and bullshit about this for <laughs> two more hours, but um, yeah, hopefully we uh, we help some people out. I don't know. <laughs> we're, I, mean, it comes up for we're belt, I don't think you can overtune something. I do think that you get to a point. I mean, I was, I was listening to a podcast with Randy Omer mm-hmm. along. I don't know whose it was because I know you had him on before too. But like uh, yeah. he talks about tuning and bear shaft tuning and all that stuff. And he does, from what he said on there, he doesn't even do it because, and it makes sense because you're, the bow's going to be knocked around your side by side, your quad, the back of your truck or whatever. Like it's not going to be perfect anymore. So you can, you don't have to drive yourself up a wall with tuning a hunting bow as long as it's within reason and it's close. Like if you can get, even if it's shooting like a softball sized group with your broadheads and field points at, 30, 40 yards, you're not going to have an issue with it. I mean, well, you have to see, be now, now you, now you just opened up another can of worms for me. <laughs> <laughs> now you just opened up another can of worms. I was going to let everybody go back to the day. But listen, so <laughs> here's my thing about that. Let's say you get it all tuned and you got one-inch groups, okay, at freaking 80 yards. That's with broadheads. Like, you got it that dialed in and you're shooting that well. It gets knocked around and it gets knocked off 20%. And now at 80 yards, you got a six or seven inch or eight inch group still effective. But if you started with an eight inch group and you got knocked around, now your group is 16 inches, not effective. So that's my philosophy on it. So I'm, I'm like... I think so. I think it's important to like mark all your stuff because I think doing that. So, a group going from like say a baseball 70, 80 yards, and now you're like barely able to hit your target at the same distance. I think that's a super extreme occurrence and you need to look at your stuff. But that also proves that you need to be shooting at camp before you go out. Like, if it's the night before, yeah, yeah, the morning of, during the day, like shoot your bow. (laughs) Yeah, but I just, um, my, my point is like, if you, you know, you're out there and you fucking take a fall or whatever. And okay, now you're not shooting the bow, but you're like, oh, it's fine. You know, I didn't, I didn't hit it. But in reality, you knocked it off a little bit or whatever. Or you even even less obvious, you're walking through the brush and the brush grabs a hold of your freaking, your rest and, you know, moves it a 32nd or a 64th of an inch. You know, like I, it's just to me, I think, and I think, and people always say, oh, but it's a hunting bow. You don't, I see hunting to me is like, you're, this is a life or death situation. It's might, might, might not be your life or death, right? But it's the life, it's the life and death of, of an animal. And I think you owe the animal, the respect. Like, I think you're shooting at a stupid piece of paper. Like that has less value to me. I mean, maybe just because I'm a hunter and not really a target shooter, but to me, like, I'm more worried about, more concerned that I should have something that is totally dialed in 
to kill an animal versus totally dialed in for me to shoot a dot. So, so like so I, for for something to get messed up for to be shooting a group that big, I think it would have to be pretty extreme. What I've noticed if something gets bumped around a little bit, even your sight, like say you take a fall and you bump your sight a little bit. If you go and shoot, like what you're probably gonna notice is instead of hitting the center, you say you're a little bit to the left. Say you're three inches to the left now. Well it's out it's not gonna necessarily change your group size that much. It might be a little bit kind of off um if it's a site it's just going to move into a different direction i right check your third axis make sure nothing's bent recite back in until it's in the center um if a, your arrest moves it's going to be slightly about the same i mean it's probably not going to hit with your field points as, as well um because you can go like my rest right now you can go and smack the side of it yeah it might change it a little bit but it's not gonna it's probably just gonna move my group over and it might be a little bit like football shaped with a, a field point and a broadhead. But I started out to a point that's almost unrealistic, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Like it, There's always a point of the mission. Tuned really it's... well. So if it, something gets bumped, I'll just recite into it because um, I'm not going to go and retune my bow at camp. No. Uh, if, no. if everything's grouping, I'm going to sight back into it and I'm, I'm going to go hunt. Yeah, it's not going to be that important, but I at least started out with something that was over my expectation, and now if something happens, it's going to be pretty reasonable. I'm still going to be confident I'm going to shoot something. Yeah, as long as it's grouping good. Yeah, absolutely. But but to that point too, like try and travel with your bow in a case of some sort, or not bouncing around in the back seat of your truck, or just hanging out in the the backseat of your side-by-side where it's all you're allowing it to get that beat up. Like I know I understand stuff happens, but try and take care of your stuff because when it comes down to it, if you miss or if I miss, I want to be like, okay, I missed because I sucked. Like yeah. I don't want to go back to count and shoot camp and shoot. And my arrow is not even hitting the target. Like that sucks. Yep. Um, Cause Absolutely. you only, a lot of times you only have one chance at that. So try and take care of your stuff. Don't, destroy it um this your string for instance too like i've had my my scenario i was just driving down a dirt road to go glass somewhere and i have my bow on top of my pack uh-huh. um and my strings just sitting there rubbing on my pack or my tripod and i take my bow out and thankfully i didn't cut anything but you could see like where it was wearing like that uh-huh. stuff happens take care of your stuff because yeah if something happens, you're screwed. Like if I busted a string, mm-hmm. 99% of shops at in late August, September, you're not going to get a string from anybody within time to go back out. Like it's, yep, you're done. <laughs> I've worked at a shop and I've had those customers. Like you, it's not possible. Like I can call all the string makers that I can, maybe somebody that's making them at home or some small string maker that can randomly pop one up in a few days. But if you go to your local shop, it's not uncommon for somebody to come in and be like, well, it's going to be three weeks before your string comes in. Uh, that's just the way it is. Like people are backed up. Hunting season's backed up. Shoot your bow early, get your string at the beginning of summer, summer rather than yep. the right. beginning of August and get your stuff done and taken care of. Um, for sure. It's like, again, it's confidence. If you're not confident in it, you're not going to perform. And if you only have three days to get your stuff ready, you're probably not going to be very confident in it. Exactly. I think that matters more than like 
going down a, a ton of rabbit holes with tuning and stuff like that because stuff does happen. But if you're not confident in your equipment or know your equipment, if something does happen, then it's just, it's not going to be the ideal outcome. It probably will still work, but it's not going to be ideal. Right. Well, I'm going to end up, I'm going to end with this. I know for me, a lot of my confidence comes with the amount of effort I put into the tuning and the developing arrows and all that other stuff. It, it gives me a sense of confidence and it, I'm, I'm glad you said it because like, like I agree with you cause I killed stuff way back in the day with, you know, arrows off the shelf and I would just, I was the guy for a long time. I handed the bow shop, my bow said, tune it. They would, paper tune it and give it back to me and I would never even think twice about it. But over the years, I've, I've noticed that the more effort I put into always translates into success. And it's, and a lot of it I think has to do with the confidence level. So there's, there's nothing, no tuning, no broadhead, no arrow, no bow, no fletching that can give you more confidence than time behind the bow. Yeah. So if there, if there is a right answer, we would all be shooting the same thing. <laughs> right exactly yeah exactly so, awesome confidence man. is key with anything thank you for taking the time and coming on and uh chatting with me we got to get together it's been a while it has been I don't, have we even gotten together since i moved back from alabama no we haven't we've talked obviously but we haven't yeah actually i haven't seen you yeah i haven't seen you since then it's I think it was the January before I moved. So just yeah. over two years ago. Yeah. Hunting with Shane. I think that was the last time. Yep. Or no, take that back. No, no. We were doing the, the broadhead doing the stuff at the shop during yep. COVID stuff. Yep. Exactly. Yep. But yeah, for sure. Damn. It's been a while, bro. <laughs> All right. I'm well, flown. Like I I've 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 moved three times and had two different jobs, three different jobs in the last two and a half years. So it's, yeah. Yeah. It's gone by very fast lately. Yeah. It, it's, it goes, man. It, and it only goes faster and faster. The older you get and trust me, <laughs> and mm -hmm. wait, wait till you have a wife and kids and it really freaking flies by. So, <laughs> but, For sure. All right, man. Well, let's get together. We'll do uh we have to get out and do a little uh, deer hunting this year. Sounds good to me. All right, buddy. Thanks. Yep. No problem. Hey guys, thanks for checking out the show. Really appreciate you. Keep those reviews and those comments coming. Helps us keep this free. Do me a favor, go check out Phoenix Shooting Bags. Use promo code John Stallone to save 20%, all one word. And check out Howl for Wildlife. Thank you very much and we'll catch you on the next show.